The first reading, again, is from Acts chapter 2, a description of the earliest Jesus community. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. The epistle reading is from 1 Corinthians 12. This will be the sermon text for this morning, too. Also, by the way, so the sermon text, one of the sermon texts from last week was from 1 Corinthians 11, talking about Holy Communion, about and how in Holy Communion we participate in the body and blood of Jesus. It is not just incidental that Paul is going to talk about the body of Christ again in 1 Corinthians 12, but with a different twist. I'll explain more when we get to the sermon. The body is a unit, Paul says, though it's made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now, the body's not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. It would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But, in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 17th chapter. Do you mind if I set this up real quick? I was going to try to work this into the sermon, and I just couldn't, I, I couldn't do it. Not because it's not connected to the sermon, because it's, it's, uh, it's just, it's so big. It wasn't, it just wasn't going to fit into that same sermon. What is God's plan? What is God's plan to rescue the world? Is God's plan to rescue the world to figure out a way to make you feel better about yourself or to feel less guilty for your sin? I, I hope that because Jesus died on the cross for you, that you do feel less guilt for your sin. But that's not the main goal. Is the main goal to get you to heaven when you die? No. For those of you who are believers, in between the time when you die and the time when Jesus raises you from the dead, you will be in heaven. But that's not the main goal in Scripture. The main goal is to create a community that reflects the inner life of the Trinity. From eternity past, for all of eternity, 
God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have been together, loving each other and in perfect relationship with each other. And when God created us to be in his image, he created us so that we would have that sort of relationship with him and with each other. And so when he comes to save us, he doesn't save us primarily to get us to heaven, primarily to forgive us of our sins even, but so that by forgiving us of our sins, he can create that new community. All right, that's what Jesus is talking about in the gospel reading this morning. Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone, his disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's me and you, right? That, now here's Jesus' prayer for us. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. So let's talk about community and relationship this morning. This is not an add-on to Christianity. This is not, you know, Christianity is not Jesus died for your sin and rose again from the dead. And, well, it's just more convenient if we all get together once a week and talk about it than if we, like, just stayed apart. Uh, that's, not, that's not the case. In fact, and I'll point this out next week because I'm going to preach on Acts chapter 2, 24 through 27. If you were reading, like, well, well you all were reading it because um, we just read it. But if you noticed, that the, the weight that, that uh, Luke, the writer of Acts, gives to different things that the early church was doing, being devoted to the apostles' teaching. That's super important. That's something that a lot of us think of when we think of Christianity. You Studying the Bible, hearing the Bible preached, thinking about good doctrine and things like that. That's the first thing that Luke says that they were doing. So obviously it's super important. But he mentions at least three or four times relational things. They were all together in each other's houses. They were eating meals together. They were all together, he says again. They had all things in common economically. So it's really, really important, this community thing. This isn't just some sort of add-on. This is what we're doing here. Right? And this is, well, I'll talk about this at the end of the sermon. A lot of you have struggled with church. You're all going to church, obviously. You're here this morning. A lot of you are doing it because there's this sense that we're supposed to go to church. The Bible says to go to church. But many of you, in fact... Rough, just a rough estimate by the amount of conversations I have with you guys about this stuff. Many of you, you struggle with it. This is not really something that you enjoy doing. One of the reasons for that is because you have not yet bought into church as a communal relationship. You still think of church. Now, y'all are too mature to think of church as a building. If I say, is this building church? You'd be like, no, church is the people. But you actually do think of church as this event that's happening right now. And this event, we are worshiping God. He's coming here to meet with us. But, but the reason why God is coming here to meet with us is so that he can bind, oh, this is the gospel reading, that he can bind us in himself together. Right? This is fuel for the other seven days a week where you are still the church and the reason why church is a little bit of a struggle for some of you is that you sense that there's something weird and awkward and even distasteful and wrong about the fact that you're a part of the church, but you're not connected to the church at all for the vast majority of your life. In fact, for six hours, for six days and 22 hours a week, you have no contact with the church. And yet, I'm up here telling you week after week that that is your identity, is the church of Jesus Christ. How does that make sense? Well, hopefully this will help us out this morning, okay? Paul in 1 Corinthians talks about the body of Christ a lot. Paul means three different things by the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians. Three different things. The first thing that Paul means when he talks about the body of Christ is sometimes he means Jesus, right? Jesus has a body. Jesus, when he was born of the Virgin Mary, 
was given flesh. He took on flesh, and he will forever have upon himself flesh, human nature. The body of Christ is a literal thing. It's at the right hand of the Father right now. And it's going to return here to earth someday. Jesus has a literal body. Sometimes when Paul talks about the body of Christ, he means something else. He means, like we talked about last week in 1 Corinthians 11, the body and blood of Jesus Christ, right? This is 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27. Whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the bread and the cup. No, against the body and blood of Jesus. This is the body and blood of Christ here. Sometimes Paul will talk about it that way. But the third thing that Paul means by the body of Christ is us, you guys. And that's the epistle reading for this morning. These are all related, by the way. How are you saved? You're saved by Jesus. Jesus saves you with himself. One of the ways he saves you is through Holy Communion, his body and blood. He saves you in order to recreate you as his own body, as the body of Christ here. These things are all organic. By the way, this is a little add-on here. This is why communion is so important. This is why communion is not just something that you say, well, it doesn't really matter what you think about it. The main thing that matters is that you do it. Oh, there's a little bit of truth in there, but it actually does matter what you think about it. If the body of Christ is going to become the body of Christ, there has to be some sort of connection. There has to be some sort of conduit. And if this is just a way to think about Jesus, then that connection is being broken somehow. There's not any, there's, there's a gap there between the body of Christ at the right hand of the Father and the body of Christ, me and you. And that's why Paul, even, even this text in 1 Corinthians 12 is a, Paul, is a part of Paul's larger argument about how communion relates to the gaps that we create between each other. For, specifically in 1 Corinthians, the socioeconomic gaps. I'm wealthy and you're not wealthy. And so we don't really have a whole lot in common. No, Paul says, you are sharing in the one body of Christ up there to right here, to right here, to right here. There can be no divisions in the church if you are all one body. That's where, we, that's where we're at this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So go to the reading with me, if you will, and let's hack our way through this. Verse 12, the body is a unit, though it's made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. Okay, this is just basic human anatomy 101, right? So it is with Christ. All right, you're thinking Jesus has a body too. Apparently, Paul says, you know, Jesus has a hand, Jesus has a foot, Jesus has eyes. These are all true. But Paul doesn't go to Jesus' body in that first sense. Paul's going to go at this point, after working from Jesus' body to Jesus' body, Paul's going to go to Jesus' body. So it is with you. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. There's no ethnic barriers. There's no socioeconomic barriers. Ethnic, there's no Jew or Greek. Socioeconomic, there's no slave or free. We were all given the one spirit to drink. You think of yourself as having like an individual soul or spirit as a human being, right? It's a very, very precious thing to you postmoderns. This is all of us in here, is that you have your individuality. But Paul's going to insist, he's not going to say that that's not true, that you don't have an individual soul. But there's a larger under-reality as the church of Jesus Christ underneath that, which is you have all drank of one spirit. You are bound together into one functioning body. Now, what if you don't think that you are, or what if you don't cognitively recognize the fact that you're one body? That's an issue. Verse 14 through 20, Paul's going to deal with this issue of unity and diversity, and it goes like this. Now, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it wouldn't for that reason cease to be part of the body. So you can say to yourself, 
So this is an analogy. This is not an allegory. You're not to think here, like, who's the foot and who's the hand or who's the eye or who's the ear. This, this, it's, it's not, it doesn't work. It's not an allegory. This is an analogy. A foot can say, I'm not a part of the body. I just don't feel connected here, right? But it doesn't matter. It doesn't cease, Paul says, to be a part of the body just because it feels like that. You know, you know, from, from, from time to time, we're all going to have this feeling that there's really no place for us here. We're not connected here. There's no, like, what, what, what am I doing here? I don't really have a whole lot in common with people here. However you feel, the reality is you're connected here. That's the reality. It has nothing to do with how we feel about it. Now, one of the things, one of our goals should be to have the Holy Spirit, to ask the Holy Spirit to reshape our feelings and our thoughts so that it matches up with the reality of one body, right? But the reality of one body is the reality. You can't get away from it. He does the same analogy again here in, in verse 16. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. Why would the ear or the eye say that? Is it because a feeling of inferiority? I don't think so right here. I don't think like, that's not what Paul's dealing with here. I don't think he's really dealing with rebellion here. Like, I don't want to be a part of this mess. I don't think it's that either. I think it's, I think that, I think what Paul's hinting around at here is, this, I don't have anything in common. Like, I'm a foot. He's a hand. I don't have anything in common. And you hear this all the time, don't you? I talk to a lot of people who are like, I don't want to be involved with that group because, I mean, people don't usually say, I don't want to be involved in that group. They sort of usually just step away from it. I don't really have anything in common with them. You, you know, you hear older people say this about, you know, it's just awkward hanging out with the younger people in the church because we don't talk about the same things. Sometimes you'll you'll hear younger people be like, well, I like to go to, you know, I'll go to a Bible study with like other people my age, but as far as like going to the adult Bible study, I don't know, I just don't have a whole lot in common with them. But but here's the deal is, you do. You actually have the same thing in common that a hand has with, with a foot. You have a different function, but you are part of one body. this church doesn't exist without you. There's a role that the Holy Spirit has created you for. Do we have a lot in common? On one level, maybe no. But on another level, everything. You have more, you think about about the the, the clubs or the social groups that you hang out with. Maybe you do model trains together or maybe you're on a little league team with people or whatever, you know, this business association. And you think these are the people, or you play golf in a golf league, these are the people that you really have something in common with. And on this first surface level, you do, you like golf. But actually, there are people in here you've never talked to who are your, literally, blood brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ that you are connected to. You have, there's no, you can't step away and say, I don't, I'm not a part of them because, because I don't have anything in common. That would be like the foot saying, I'm not doing this today. Right? The hand wants to walk over there and make some coffee to drink. I'm not participating. I don't have anything in common with it. It doesn't work like that. Every single one of you is needed by every single one of us. And it may be even in ways that we don't understand. Because it's, it's, it's quite possible that the foot doesn't know what the hand is doing. Or that the ear doesn't know what the eye is doing. But you don't get to bail out and say, I'm not, I'm, I'm not participating today. Because we are all part of this one body and we all need each other. Verse 18, in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? And this is going to hint around to the next section. If we were all hands, we would all have this sort of feeling of like belonging, like you do at your golf club. 
right? Or, or you, you do it in the Little League team or, or the, 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 your quilting group. We're all hands there, but you wouldn't be a functioning body. Your golf league is not a functioning body. It gets together for a specific purpose, and then it disbands. And it doesn't really accomplish anything, except you have a good time. The church, though, is a functioning body. All right? More on that in just a second. As it is, there are many parts but one body. Why is this the case? Why is this unity and diversity so important? The answer is coming up here in the next section. It's because, out of our weakness, God can create one people of strength. It goes like this. Verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, now it seems like Paul has changed his focus to this sort of superiority, inferiority thing. The eyes are super important, right? The eyes are way more important than the hand. Is this true? If you have a choice between having an eye cut off or a hand cut off, what would you take? You can play that game. They're actually both necessary to the body, right? So your eye can say, that coffee looks good over there. I'm going to get, my, get myself a drink of that. If you have no hands, you're not going to get yourself a drink of that. The eyes and the hands need each other to function properly, right? On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. He probably means here, just by the language here, he probably means like your internal organs. Like, you don't really see your liver functioning. But... It doesn't mean that it's not important. If you lose your liver, you're going to be in big trouble. It's hidden. Nobody sees it working, but it's essential to the functioning of the body. And now he talks about uh, uh, sex organs in uh, the, the last part of verse 23. The parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts, like our face, need no special treatment. So God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If you hurt one part of your body, your whole body is going to feel pain. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. This is the analogy of the church, right? We're all one body, and so whatever our weaknesses are, are shared. And whatever our strengths are, are shared. And here's why this is important. Here's why I need people who aren't the same age as me. Here's why I need to hang out with the people who are 20 years older than me, and I need to hang out with the 20, people 20 years younger than me. Here's why I need to hang out with people who are from different socioeconomic groups as me. This is why I need to hang out in the church with people different interests than me. Here's why I need to hang out with people who are different ethnicity than me. The reason why is because if I hang out with people who are just like Aaron Miller, what we're going to do is we're going to pull Aaron Miller's weaknesses. This is one reason. Come downstairs right after church to Bible study. This is one reason why solo leadership in a church is a bad deal. Where one person being in charge, it just means that the person who's in charge, their weaknesses are going to become the weaknesses of everybody. There's tons and tons of stuff. You should talk to my wife, talk to my good friends about this. There's tons and tons of stuff that I'm really, really bad at. I'm not going to make a list now because we don't have time. But if, if, I'm, if, if, if I'm only hanging out with myself... This is a postmodern problem. Or with people who are just like me, all I'm doing is having those weaknesses affirmed. And St. James is going to take on those weaknesses. Or my group within St. James, my clique within St. James, is going to take on those weaknesses. Instead, I need the strengths of your old age. I need the strengths of your teenageness. I need the strengths of your different economic situation in life than me. 
I need the strengths of your different hobbies. I need the strengths of your different ways of reading scripture. I need the strengths of your different experiences of the Holy Spirit's power in your life. I need all these things. And if I cut myself off from these these things, I'm making myself like a foot that just wants to hop around by itself and thinks, I don't need anybody else. I'm just going to be this foot here. This is why some of you feel disaffection with the church. And I'm not making this up. As I've talked to those of you who have come to St. James, a majority of you, I won't say all of you, because this isn't, this isn't the issue of some of you, and actually the younger that you are, the more it's been an issue for you, in fact. The majority of you that I will talk to will say things like this. Like, I've been going to church my whole life, but I've never really felt like I've connected. I've been going to a particular church my whole life, and I actually don't feel like I even know anybody there. I mean, I know people names, say hi, and stuff like that. I have no meaningful relationships at this church that I've attended my whole life. Some of you will actually even say out loud the words, like, I'm super busy, go to church every Sunday, I try to get involved, but I'm actually, you'll you'll say the L word, I'm actually lonely. And the reason why is because we've never actually, as a church, done this. We say to each other, hey, good to see you, how you doing? Man, it was hot this weekend, right? Well, I'm glad to see you this. I'll see you next Sunday. That's like our conversations here at church. And we're nowhere close to being the one body. You, you, you know, you hop off your little foot to your car. And my, my hand like crawls by itself to its car. And your eye kind of hops to its car. And we split this body up. We sever this body up to a million different pieces for six days a week and then expect Jesus to do something in this community. And it's not going to happen. And, and, and by the way, I'm not going like, to give you like practical tips this morning because my sermon next Sunday will actually be, how can we practically do this? How can we start living out and being the body of Jesus Christ here in Lynn Carbon? But let me, what, what I want to do this week is just appeal to the Holy Spirit who's crying out in your soul, I want that. I want to know and be known. I want to love people and be loved. I want to live a life with other people. I don't want to be lonely anymore. I want to share in Jesus with people who aren't like me, with people who are like me. And I want to see the body of Christ grow, become bigger and bigger and stronger all the time. Look, I said, so I, I was the kind of person who loved college. And it wasn't even anything to do really with academics, but it was more like the shared life of college. I was telling some of you this recently. Do you guys remember those of you who went to college? Like the shared life of college? Well, I know some people, you know, relationships are sometimes a struggle in college, but living with people, living in an apartment or in a dorm with people, and you get to know them and you get to be a part of them. Angela and I went to the same college together. It's where we started uh, dating. And I remember, so, you, you know, we go to college, and then we got out of college, and she went one way and I went one way. You know, we were still dating. We would see each other on the weekends. And then we got married, and we don't see each other half as much as we did in college. In college, we ate every meal together. In college, we had this shared group of friends. It was Angela and I. We also had this larger group of friends that we were always hanging out with and knowing and loving. And then you get out of college and you go to the real world, right? Where I don't see Angela except at nights anymore. And even then life gets busy and we have other priorities like making money or hobbies. And I don't see my friends from college anymore. I don't hang out with people anymore. And all of a sudden, three or four years, it hits me. I'm lonely. I miss that. But... Unfortunately, 
that was just a weird time in life, college, when you're all living life together. It's just a weird time, and it's over now, and now's the real world. I have responsibilities, and I'm just going to have to be lonely. But what if what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 11, in Ephesians 4, and in Romans 9 through 11, and in Acts 2, 24 through, what if that's the real life? What if we've bought into the American dream of we just got to, you know, I'm just got to have to do my own thing and be my own and like go to my job and like focus and make money and just be lonely and that's a part of it. And maybe I can like join, join a golf club when I turn 70. What if the real world is more like college than the life that you're living now? What if you were designed to share intimately seven days a week in the life of the people sitting in this room? What if we actually started looking like the body of Jesus Christ. Amen.